This is Speaker for the Living, a podcast where we explore human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. I'm here with my co-host, JJ Genflone. What up, people? We've been gone forever, but we've returned, and I'm sure you've missed us as much as we've missed you. That sounded sarcastic. I that wasn't supposed to be. Legitimately, we love you all. We've missed you. But we've done things. We have. I went to a human trafficking conference in Omaha that was focused on research. I got to go to a really phenomenal conference in D.C., which, by the way, I'm moving there! Moving from Colorado, so that's another reason why we haven't been around as much. Seth and I have been very busy, and the day jobs that we use to pay for our lives to bring you this podcast, notably, you know, we don't have, we're not selling you toothbrushes or, or food delivery services on here, and this is free. And so I went to the Now and Next, the 2019 World Without Exploitation, and it was actually called like the convening as opposed to a conference because it was supposed to be sort of a conference that turned traditional academic style conferences on its head. But so it was really great. It, it, it predominantly focused on sex trafficking, but there were a number of people there who also worked on labor trafficking. And it was the first conference I've been to that really kind of put survivor voices and practitioner voices at the front of the conference or sort of gave the spotlight to them over sort of the traditional academic conferences where it's much more, unless you have a paper or a data set to present, you're not getting sort of that level of attention or or prestige. And I will do a shout out to them because they have started a scholarship fund. And this event sort of ended with a little gala on looking for funding for this. And you can go to their website, now on Next World Without Exploitation, a scholarship fund and, and donate to them. And what they're specifically doing is they're starting a scholarship fund to benefit survivors of trafficking, labor and sex trafficking, who would like education or training so that survivors don't have to go back into the pipeline of only working on trafficking-related issues. Because in Seth and I think we've seen this too, is that a lot of times survivors, when they come out of these situations, they're very limited on job opportunities, either because of criminal histories or the fact that they've they've missed periods of education, they've undergone trauma, and, and the pay just isn't that high and other things. So they end up working in trafficking industries, anti-trafficking industries, and that's kind of exploitive, you know, for, for people to continue to benefit from their pain and suffering. And so this scholarship fund will then allow individuals whatever sort of education or training in the field that they so choose without them having to put their story out there and publicize it. So I was really happy about it. The food was good. DC is lovely. I only got lost eight times instead of ten. There we are. Well, today, as you can see from the title, we're going to be talking about Joss Whedon's dollhouse. Excuse me, I thought this was going to be about Fisher-Price toys and small dollhouses. I brought all my Polly Pockets, so we're not doing that. If this was a video cast, we would do that. We could totally play... Oh, I just... That's something... It just occurred to me that people, like, acting out human trafficking scenarios with Barbies would be something on the deepest, creepiest part of the internet, and I'm sure it exists now that I've said it out loud. Yeah, no, so we're talking about Joss Whedon and Dollhouse. Sadly, there's not really human trafficking in Buffy. Otherwise, we could have talked about that, because that's my fave. So it's a pop culture podcast. It is one of my top ten sci-fi shows. I've watched it three times. It it is an imperfect work. It is definitely his most controversial work. Mm -hmm. It was on uh, 2009, 2010. Lots of people haven't seen it. If you've seen at least one episode, it will be helpful. And it's currently on Hulu, if you subscribe to that. 
I actually, though, will say that I, I found it really useful to get the DVD series mm-hmm. uh, for all of sort of the extra benefits. And there is like this hidden episode that didn't air on television, but is in the, the DVD box mm-hmm. set because it was aired at a later, later date. And so you can check it out that way. And if you're at all a fan of Joss Whedon, you are not shocked at the fact that maybe the network aired his things incorrectly because, you know, you've heard of the great Firefly. Pour one out for Firefly debacle. Yes, uh... I'm an even bigger Firefly fan, all yep. 14 episodes, one movie, and uh, a spattering of comics after the fact, which I've all read. And I uh, went to my first Comic-Con recently and got a p- picture with Summer Glaw and Jewel State. Summer Glaw is in Dollhouse. But the way we're going to do this is we're going to dive in, and I'm going to use the show to go through the topics and reveal and quote it when it makes sense. But we're going to be a little more clear about what they're about than the show is because it does a reveal that makes it confusing at first. And the first episode, which was written by Joss Whedon, uh, that was around uh, episode 7, called Man on the Street, was the one where they had segments where they were interviewing people and going through different themes And so I'm going to actually start there before going back to the first episode. Okay. So the reporter starts out the episode. When you hear the words dollhouse, you probably think of little girls playing tea party. But for some in Los Angeles, those words have a different meaning. A darker meaning. Dolls. Seeming to crop up first in the late 80s, the dollhouse is one of LA's most enduring urban legends. The story is simple. Somewhere in the city is an illegal establishment that rents out to the very rich and the very connected, programmable people. People who can take on any personality except their own. So that was the reporter. In the episode, there are people that have positive things to say about lack of responsibility or getting to spend time with rich people. I'm not going to mention those. I'm just going to mention the two that have implications for the episode. Mm -hmm. And we're going to... Role play these two. Yeah, uh, because let's be honest, we can't afford clips, guys. So instead, you get Seth and JJ's dollhouse impressions. Joss Whedon, if you're listening, we're available. <clears throat> Interview one. Oh, it's happening. There's one thing people will always need slaves. Well, some of the versions of the story say the dolls themselves are volunteers. There's only one reason someone would volunteer to be a slave, and that is if they're one already. Volunteers. You must be out of your effing mind. It's human trafficking, end of story. It's repulsive. And that's what another interviewee said. So there's a lot to unpack in Dollhouse. It's a very dark, morally ambiguous show where everyone's compromised and not particularly happy. And so it's because the show deals with a lot of themes relating to ownership, consent. It focuses on identity. We're not going to focus as much on that ourselves corporations and and so pop culture gives us a chance to talk about things in our own society and reflect on them yeah and there's something in it too about the idea of the privilege you have to have in order to even have the agency to consent because that's Mm -hmm. something that comes up a lot um because there are people and we'll talk about who these people are in the dollhouse who have fully consented to to be there for a particular period of time in exchange for certain amount of money and they've done that with full consent and agency and then there's many who have not and then there are many who have they've made some consent but they their gallery of choices was exceptionally limited so it was choose to go in this or say maybe be killed 
for being an investigative reporter. So there's a lot of, of layers there. And I think that this, this is something that actually came up in a number of the panels I went to at the, the conference I was at, which is this idea of, we've talked about this and we've had people on our podcast of people who work in erotic uh, sexual services. And they say that, you know, they're doing it with full agency and they're, and they're very happy with their work. And then we have a lot of, there's also a lot of people though in the, in the trafficking conversation who say that any form of erotic service provision is a form of trafficking because you can't possibly consent to engage in that sort of work. And that I think debate is actually part of what's happening in dollhouse is this debate of, can you actually consent to put yourself into a trafficking like situation or into an exploitative situation and I don't know how, how I come down on it, because I do think that if people make choices and they can send in, even if those choices were limited, we have to recognize their agency. But maybe when there's, you know, this, these layers of suffering and exploitation, it's, it's a much deeper story. And there are places where Dollhouse ends up being pretty clear. Yeah. And there are other places where it's not. And we're, I'm being vague because we're going to be talking about those in the context of it. Yeah. So the story of Dollhouse begins with a contract negotiation between the L.A. Dollhouse director, Adele DeWitt, and Carolyn Farrell, who will become the doll known as Echo. And I've got to say, Adele is actually probably my favorite character in the whole series. There is a lot of nuance in her writing, and the actress that plays her is hardcore. I think she's actually my favorite. Some of the commentary said that the most morally ambiguous characters are also the most interestingly yeah, written and I in think the that series that's, and well yeah. acted. Well, and I think too, and as as we go into this, Adele is sort of playing the character of well, Adele is the character of of uh, the closest thing this show has to like a madam, and I think that's always been sort of an area of interest for me too. With within human trafficking, we've recommended Austin Choi Fitzpatrick's book, like How Traffickers Think, but that's sort of I think along the same lines. Like, how is it? that you justify things to yourself. Some things are okay, some things are not when you work in this in this field. And so I really enjoyed her. So they later reveal that Caroline fit a profile. Mm-hmm. Her abilities. <coughs> after she was caught bombing a building and had also a previous interaction at a university. They reveal that later. And so DeWitt, and I'll, I'll do DeWitt here, and then JJ will do the part of Caroline. Make sure to be sassy. I'm, I can be so sassy. Yeah. You don't even know. And so what she says at one point, DeWitt, I, I, I would do her British accent, but that, that's hard. But my offer is this. Your life for your life. I get five years. You get the rest. You'll be free. Nothing is what it appears to be. It seems pretty clear to me because you're only seeing part of it. I'm talking about a clean slate. Do you ever try to clean an actual slate? You always see what was on it before. Are you volunteering? I don't have a choice. Do I? How did it get this far? Caroline, actions have consequences. Oh God, you're loving this, aren't you? I'm sorry you don't understand what I'm offering here. But what we do helps people. If you become a part of that, it can help you. Right. You're just looking out for me. Perhaps better than you have. We can take care of this mess. After your five-year term, you will be free to... I don't deserve this. I was just trying to make a difference. Trying to take my place in the world, you know? Like she always said, and now I am... I know, I know. Actions have consequences. What if they didn't? 
And that phrase gets into the fact that they end up being dolls and then they, they don't know what their actions even are. So here you see, you know, we're talking about trafficking with force, fraud, and coercion. This is very clearly force. Hmm. You know, someone's been picked from a profile and the option is, is, if you look at the scene, the option is very clearly that some form of violence or death is going to happen to her if she doesn't engage in this like five-year exchange. And we also see here the view of the trafficker, who in this case yeah. dresses really nice, seems to really believe that she helps people even though... She also knows it's a criminal enterprise. Yeah. She's British, which an American TV show says, you know, this is a person of authority. And she's got an upper class, posh British accent, which implies that she's well educated. Her hair's nice, you know. So trafficking, as you know, if you listen to the show, as far as the action, it involves force, fraud, or coercion. It also brings up the question of what is consent and what does it mean to have informed consent? Mm -hmm. And there's a few books I'm going to bring into this that you can reference. One's The Philosophy of Joss Whedon. The other is Reading Joss Whedon, yeah. both of which tackle that question. One of them brings up the idea of coercive offers, which they define as not threats, but they're, they're made in a way where the other person doesn't really have a reasonable choice. Yes. And so in that sense, is it coercion? Is it legal coercion? And it gets a little bit muddy. And so when looking at some of the other characters, Madeline, who's also known as November, she had lost her daughter, and so she came in there because she couldn't function. Yeah. And so in that case, it seems rather predatory, but they said they would take away the pain through mental engineering if, if she was there for five years. And so is that coercion? But if, if she was coming in not dealing, say, with severe depression, but dealing mm -hmm. with, one, we say the people who are going undergoing psychosis can't actually make informed mm -hmm. consent. Like, that would not, that legal agreement would not stand up in court. But additionally, if she were coming in, say, because she couldn't function due to a drug addiction and mm -hmm. a trafficker provide, and, and an individual provider of drugs, we would define that as trafficking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that... Uh, right. Uh, Anthony, who, uh, whose doll name was Victor... He was having severe post-traumatic stress disorder from the military. And so they said they would take care of that. And then Priya Sierra, who we'll get into a bit more later, who, who, who was clearly trafficked. Yes. Yeah, I think when we get to her storyline, that is the clearest case of sort of that there are these muddy levels of exploitation there are these clear uh, issues of sort of force, as with Echo. Then there are these other ones where it seems people made a choice, but they were definitely undergoing vulnerabilities. And then when we slide into her storyline, where you actually see her like very defiantly say, I don't want to be a part of this. And also that the limits, this, this mm -hmm. five-year limit, which seems very arbitrary, uh, that that is removed is different. Also, I, I question for those of who haven't seen the show, I'll ask Seth, since he's the expert and I've only seen this once. Seth, can you pull out of this project at any time during the five years? You cannot. Yeah. So, which immediately, no matter what sort of job it is, actually makes it a trafficking situation because regardless of illness, injury, because there are some people who are quite violent to the dolls and, and their treatment, uh, you, they are engaging in physical acts, sexual acts, intimate Like, there's a lot of things happening to these dolls and... The fact that they're called dolls, not people. They're an object, not a person. Uh, and they cannot, in fact, they're not aware of the passage of time. So they mm -hmm. cannot pull out from this project, which would be sort of the same as, you know, their personhood is being held in the way their documents might be. 
Yeah, and in the context of the show, their minds are put on a hard drive and stored. It's a little muddy on how much of them remain inside or if it's just fully repressed. Yeah. I think it's more of that. But the important thing is there is a backup and that they don't have consciousness. And in their doll state, they are, as said in the show, they're like cattle. There's there's almost no personality. But they realize that they need to keep the mind going somehow and the muscles going in order for them to function at all. Yeah. So one of the approaches that uh, the dollhouse used on Caroline was legal consequences, which legal consequences like have been a potential type of coercion for a long time, even before the TVPA. Like that's if you're using the law to coerce somebody. And in that case, they're like, you're going to go to jail through your own actions. Now, granted, she was trying to investigate a criminal enterprise and bring down the building. Uh, a criminal a criminal corporation that wasn't viewed as a criminal corporation, in her opinion, due to animal testing, and then later she realized it was deeper than that. But nevertheless, it's her action, and she brought it on herself by doing something that is technically criminal. Yes. But, but then it was... She was caught, and they could have turned her over to the authorities, in which case she would spend a long time in jail, most likely. Or she could be sort of uh, freed by giving five years of her life and then getting money afterwards and providing a lot of services in that time. That's quite dodgy. It's exceptionally dodgy. And it's no different than when we've talked about in previous podcasts, the idea of trafficking within prison systems or the trafficking you know, the way in which some profit prisons operate as trafficking institutions. It's not super different in this case. Um. Right. And I haven't looked into it much, but there is word of leasing prisoners for agricultural work. Yes. Even though they're being paid. Yeah. And sometimes there's one instance where they're paid at market rate, but then they have all these deductions, which is still iffy. Because then it's a matter of are the deductions fair? But I ha- I will research it at some point in the future. We may do a podcast later. But that's just kind of an illustration of what that can look like. Another part of this is that they use a legal contract. Now, this is important because this is part of labor trafficking and sex trafficking is you've signed a contract. Yeah. And so, and so you've made a decision to be here. So I don't know why you're complaining. Person I'm horribly mistreating for my own financial gain because I'm a Mm-hmm. dick person well and it's used to manipulate it's used to give them the impression that they owe them and that it's kind of enforceable yes but also to a person's sense of honor which you even see this when uh, C- caroline is temporarily put in a person on, in the first season where she feels like oh i owe this yeah I, I have to I have to follow through with this because I've made this agreement, despite the fact that this is very harmful to me or that I'm not getting out what I was promised from from the scenario. And that that's a real thing. Like the, that's uh, Kevin Bales mentioned that in Brazil, and the, there's examples where people are just controlled by their sense of honor, even though they're being exploited. And the contract also can provide a distance 
between the reality of what the transaction is about. Give it a certain legitimacy that it really doesn't have. But what's great about these questions is this is, again, is this is part of trafficking in the modern world, is even though it isn't technically legal, it can be given a veneer of legality, and people can be controlled by giving them some money, by saying this is what you owe. Oh. Well, and that's the case with one of the dolls, too, where they've said, well, we've already made this financial contribution on your behalf. If you pull out, you need to pay that back, and how are you going to make that happen? Now, lastly, on this point, we also learn that one of the uh, stars, who is the nefarious star Alpha, played by Alan Tudyk of Firefly fame. Who is amazing. He's and also the chicken in Moana. Hey. And it was also a robot in Robo One. Yep. The only character I cared about in that entire movie. That uh, his character was originally a prisoner because they did some prison experiments. That's never happened, but it has in the United States. So we first see Echo as Echo rather than Caroline as uh, she and her boyfriend for the night, Matt, are racing down the street. It's his birthday. She's clearly into him, really spunky. Yes. But she's programmed to be like that. So, you know, he enjoys it, but it's not her mind. And she returns to the dollhouse for a treatment, which is the programmed way of turning back into a doll. Yes, which which involves sort of this massive control, because what what makes you you is being taken away, and so it's like your sense of your 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 ability as a human being to to exercise free will is then eliminated because you're literally removed, and then you're almost like in stasis, sort of very pod people esque. Because you're just your body's just in a shell. Well, and there's a programmed exchange that's part of that after they are given their treatment, where they're deprogrammed, wiped is what they call it. And in this case, hello, Echo, how are you feeling? And then they say, did I fall asleep? The programmer, usually Topher, says, for a little while. And the active says, shall I go now? programmer if you like so even in their script there's a, a illusion of autonomy that's not there well yeah and it's also them sort of it's almost to make and this is we talk about some other ambiguous characters of like the programmers themselves of it's almost something the programmers need to feel okay about what their job is that like oh there, there's an element of choice and there continues to be an element of choice in the way that people select what they're saying despite the fact that those selections were pre-written by those programmers and they're pulling from a very specific, I guess, text bank, is how you would refer it mentally. So I mentioned Topher. Topher Brink 
is the mad scientist who cares a lot about the technology and uh, is an endearing character, even though he's amoral. And so there's a exchange that uh, explains what he thinks and also another primary character, Boyd Langton. And uh, JJ and I will role play that. Uh, would you rather be Topher or Boyd? Ooh, I don't know if I can pull off Topher. I'll be honest. I know my limits. I'll try. I'll try. All right. Apologies to everybody for my poor impression of Topher Brink. There is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so, man friend. We gave two people a perfect weekend together. We're great humanitarians. We'll spend their lives in jail if anyone ever found this place. We're also misunderstood, which great humanitarians often are. Look at Echo. Not a care in the world. She's living the dream. Whose dream? Can we talk to... This is a, this is just an aside, but I do generally love Joss Whedon's term of phrase, but the way Topher talks makes me want to attack him with a hammer. <laughs> I am not a violent person, but he's he's very clearly sort of in, in the Xander from Buffy, sort of Walsh from Firefly, sort of mold. But those characters had a maybe only because there's there's only two seasons and the and the first season is a little schizophrenic and the second season is is very clearly rushed and underfunded. I never feel the heart of him in the same way, and so sometimes there's I want to reach for the screen and hold him down and be like, talk like a human being, connect with the stop wearing Hawaiian shirts to work. Like it's it's that I'm miming slapping Seth across the table. Right now, I understand that this isn't a visual medium. Would have been funnier if it was. But you know what I'm saying is that there's. But Topher does does grow as a character because he starts to confront the site. He mm-hmm. changes definitely in his opinion of sort of the doll's ability to consent. But now we're going to introduce another character who has a way of speaking, which is uh, Tomo Pennicut who might be best known as Hilo in Battlestar Galactica, where he fell in love with the Cylon. And we've talked about Battlestar Galactica and trafficking. So, so in our early days. A, Kurt, he starts as an FBI agent assigned to the dollhouse, and uh, they mention early on that he, disru- in doing that, he disrupts a case involving Russians who are human trafficking. So even in the first episodes, they mention human trafficking, just not specifically with the dollhouse. And he, he plays Agent Paul Ballard, and... Uh, to extract one quote or pieces of a quote where somebody is saying, like, why would somebody do this? And he's like, well, nobody has everything they want. Mm-hmm. You get what you want. You want something else, something more extreme, something more specific, something perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know that Robert Kraft getting a hand job in a parlor is something perfect, but it, it also – and. You know, people have different opinions on the legitimacy of that. But in terms of the power dynamics, like, I, I question that sort of thing. If you're a billionaire, like, what's in it for you and why do you need that? And I don't know. But that people have needs. Yeah. And when you're rich, you can – you have options to pursue those needs. And those needs tend to matter less. Your your needs tend to matter more than the needs of those around you, only because you have the ability to gain access to that. So in the second episode, uh, DeWitt is talking with Mr. Connell, and she's talking about how the actives are innocent and vulnerable as children, that they mm-hmm. have a blank slate, 
that once they imprint them, they can be a friend, a lover, your heart's desire made flesh, and then at the end, it will all be wiped clean. And Connell calls it a trick, and she's like, no, 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 this is, those are illusions for deception. What we offer here is truth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wasn't there a thing where we did, like, truthiness? Mm. As as sort of a thing that we're evaluating something on its truthiness. But then she goes on to say, oh, and there's an extra fee because we see that there might be some danger to the active. And in fact, there are multiple episodes where Echo is put at risk. And there are multiple episodes where other actives, uh, to be clear, actives is the official name for the doll. They use both of the names. But where the company, even though they want to, quote, look out for their actives, they also put them at risk. Yeah. And, it's, and I think it's also, too, when those actives are put at risk, they're, they're thought to be put, the way that they're treated as risk are not people as risk. They're treated as the way you would, like, if you had a really expensive car that's at risk. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not treated in sort of the same way. Yeah, and there's something slave-like about that, too. Well, mm-hmm. American slavery, where there was an investment, but there were things they would have them do where there was either risk to them or, or the times where they would beat their property. Now, one of the things that relates to this conversation that I found interesting is a discussion of kind of the contractual system. Like, in where we are at with capitalism, like, I'm not a socialist, especially state socialism, where I'm just... I have my issues with capitalism, primarily market fundamentalism and putting a price tag on everything Mm -hmm. to where it gets to be all about me and my individual needs and a media environment playing to that. And with the internet, where we can separate out our identities from our bodies, which has some relevance to this. Yes. but, But also when we start getting to, okay, I need to present this certain self and I need the other person to be this certain self and I need to make it a shopping thing where I need this list rather than mutual respect, vulnerability and working through the complications of relationship. And I need this list for a very specific time for a very specific purpose. And I think that comes back to sort of this conversation that doesn't come up in labor trafficking, but does come up in sex trafficking all the time. Mm-hmm. Is this of can you sell sex in an ethical manner that's not harmful to yourself? Because we view sex as a as a physical act that is also intimate, that it's somehow mm-hmm. more soulful than say tomato picking. Well, some people don't feel that way. And so can you, for example, you know, when you're when you commodify yourself, when you brand yourself, when you sell yourself as a product, are you inherently losing something? when you turn yourself into a consumer good. And so a lot of like abolition organizations will have things like not for sale as sort of a slogan and things of that nature. But really under sort of global capitalism, we've all become for, for sale in some way. It's, it's our image, it's our brand, and it's also our labor. And so the dolls are really sort of an early black mirror mm-hmm. demonstration of that. The difference is, is that in the doll's case, they're not present in their bodies at the same time their brand their body is so they're very clearly selected because they're not going to be masked or because they could be controlled 
but you know there's not a unattractive doll mm-hmm. there's not a uh, massively physically fit doll there's not a doll that doesn't have sort of all of these extra skill sets and so these dolls were very clearly picked because they would appeal to the variety of consumers and then this personality and this thought process that's added in that's an after effect you know you could for example have run the dolls just by hiring lots of -of out-of-work actors who were really engaged in this idea of uh pulling a daniel day lewis and getting really method about it the problem is is that they then would remember or what would happen and then they would have the option to at any point if they no longer wanted to play act remove themselves from the Mm -hmm. scene and and so that's the difference there i think yeah well and in certain types of sex trafficking and in some prostitution narratives i've heard there there is that aspect though of identity being a different person and putting on a front to give the client what they're asking for and jj mentioned that this is different in that there there's no presence whatsoever it's another personality what's in, entirely but it does have a, re, a relationship to that narrative of how much do you have to pretend to be somebody else yeah and what does that do to you what does it do to your own it, identity exactly and but in this case too it's what what does it do to your identity when you wake up and realize that you've basically been a blackout for five years but your mm-hmm. body's been moving around your your mouth has been talking your eyes have been seeing mm-hmm. but you have no recollection of that moment yeah but there's also there's also now now that i've mentioned sex trafficking and prostitution there's the degrees to which people dislike dating because of i need there needs to be some level of transactions mm-hmm. not fully equating them but i'm saying there are some transactions that can happen in dating such as buying somebody dinner yeah as well as how real are you going to be and how much are you going to selectively share but Aristotle solved this problem already with his levels of friendship. Mm-hmm. The idea is that everybody starts with a friendship of utility, where you get something, I get something, and eventually we move either A, we realize that at some point that this utility is no longer going to factor out, and we quit, or we move into a more pure form of friendship where we're, we're there for the, the sake of it itself, right? Mm-hmm. Ideally, in dating, you're going through, or in, in early friendships or coworker stuff, you're going through the functions of utility, either mm-hmm. A, both acknowledging for, it's for the sake of a particular utility, or B, saying eventually, you know, this is going to be beneficial to my soul in some way, right? With the dolls, there's no possibility of that utility ever moving, mm-hmm. ever moving past that friendship of utility. And there's also no possibility of the doll, the the human being that you're talking to, even being aware that they're being used. Mm-hmm. They're not getting anything. You are. And the show is very unclear about what people are led to believe about what they're going to be yeah, doing true. in those five years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there is, Caroline does freak out about the thought that, you know, she's been made to have sex with all these people, but then also maybe that she's seen things or she's heard, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. So in one essay, somebody went through and looked at all the episodes and categorized mm-hmm. all the engagements, which is what they call them, which is also kind of an irony since there really is a no direct engaging. But uh, 41% of the incidents were romantic. Yeah. And so that's... it's. Let's, it's not, like, call it it ro- let's not call it romantic. It was transactional. It's transactional, 
but they want they want to feel they, they want they want a romance experience so they want not, sort of what would be just, called like a girlfriend or boyfriend experience in the erotic sexual perversion right not just five minutes of sex they, they, yeah they want a, mm-hmm. a girlfriend experience which also gets to like wanting relationship but it's not real relationship but there's the desire that this is this isn't just feeding on yeah. a transactional sex act that they want romance an illusion of romance based on the way the show portrays it so now we're going to go to the episode needs where we learn a little bit about Sierra's story Mm -hmm. and in it she ends up confronting this guy Nolan who is a rich bastard yes yeah, he's not one of the ambiguous characters you learn to love or find interesting. And he's this, someone you want to hit with your car. Yeah, and this is one I want to role play because it'll sound pretty horrible. And okay. uh, read with some emotion. Be Sierra because that'll okay. be better. Okay. What did I ever do to you? You said no, and nobody ever says no to me. Because I wouldn't have sex with you? You took away my whole life? Do you have any idea how much trouble that was? I mean, all the strings I pulled and the palms I greased... I could have bought Pierre Island, but owning you is better than real estate. Yep. And so that's when I think we transition into seeing the, like, very clear, I think the dollhouse is making a message that the the men and women being held by them, this is human trafficking. Because this is a, literally, it's described as being put into the dollhouse. She, as a person, is transformed into an object and placed into this holding cell where she's now going to be controlled. And also... Nolan has given very specific instructions that he wants her brain wiped permanently and he wants all these things uploaded. So he he essentially he's pulling a Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh he he wants a zombie love slave who looks like this woman that he he says that he's formed some sort of a love with but really it's an obsessive attachment regardless of her consent and he he wants her. He's going to own her and he can do it because he has that power. Yeah, and they get into it in a, another episode as far as uh, the full story. But, like, he wanted to control her. He wanted to f- he wanted to know she was being humiliated, even if she didn't know it. So by being in the dollhouse initially, she would also be having sex with other people. Yeah, exactly. And then he would get her sometimes, and then he would take his photo and put it in the drawer and feel that sense of control, but also humiliation. Yeah, and, and it wasn't ultimately what he wanted, so he decides eventually. Yeah. He's literally treating a person like, well, first I had it on layaway, but now I'm just going to buy the product. Yeah, well, at some point, Adele learns of it, and she says lots of mean things to Nolan, and then he's like, you're never going to be a client again. You're done. I think she said rapey scumbag or something. Yeah, exactly. Because and- he is... It's not yeah. rapey. He is a rapist. And this is sort of the other thing, too, about the dollhouse. that Because you see the clients. Mm-hmm. You see the people who are having the time of their lives with these dolls. Like, the, the series opens sort of with, uh, you see Echo and, mm-hmm. and this male paramour who, well, client, you know, riding motorcycles. And it's mm-hmm. exciting. And she doesn't have a helmet. Mm-hmm. She could die. <laughs> she didn't consent, maybe, to riding that motorcycle. Anyway, so there's... And then there's other ones where, like, clients pick outfits for her that it seems very clear would not be the sort of thing that Caroline would have worn by choice for a number of reasons. But so what you get 
when we see these clients is it's not 100% clear at first what the clients are told mm-hmm. about who they're getting either or, or the choices the people who the, the dolls have made either. But when we, you know, do they know that this person is being trafficked? And this comes up mm-hmm. all the time when people get arrested, say, in a Bob Craft way. <laughs> at a massage parlor you know do they know that these women are trafficked or do they know that these women are exploited do they know that these men and women are are in danger what do they know and what what do we expect them to know well mm-hmm. ignorance isn't an excuse for you committing a crime and it becomes very clear under under nolan and as we move into the second season that oh the vast majority of these clients know exactly what it is that that they're purchasing and who it is that they're purchasing but that doesn't matter as much to them the anonymity and the ability to literally control every single aspect of the interaction matters to them more right and there are people that will go into brothels and and know some women are trafficked and not care yeah yep and that's why i think too um ms dewitt is so interesting mm-hmm. as as a character because you you waffle as a as a viewer what she actually thinks it is as this like weird mm-hmm. madam scientist like it does it, there are sometimes where it seems very clear that she knows she's engaging in trafficking and she's literally holding women and, and and men in sexual bondage and then there's and also labor work but then there's other times mm-hmm. where it seems like she thinks that this is all one grand research design it, it's very different yeah and if you Read some books like uh, Austin Choi Fitzpatrick's What Slaveholders Think, where he interviewed slaveholders yeah, in India. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. You'll hear a lot of justifications where they don't see themselves as evil people. Yeah. Oh, no. Is that, and, and I think that's sort of the position that she takes mm-hmm. as well. Again, it's we're helping people. But it's – and this gets – and Austin's book talks about this as well. We're not friends. I shouldn't call him Austin. Dr. Choi Fitzpatrick's book – he he talks about that as well, is that they all say at first that they have all these justifications. He's like, and then if you push and push and push and push and learn long enough, they start to say disparaging things about the people themselves. And so then it's very clear that they view themselves as better mm-hmm. than the individuals that they quote unquote own. Yeah, I get the impression that either the right, the people who did the concepts for Dollhouse either were really intuitive or actually did enough research to be able to come up with a plausible scenario for slaveholders and slaves to be the little girl with the taco why can't we have both but when you think about when dollhouse came out that came out in what 2009 Mm -hmm. so it's coming around right around the time too that we're talking a lot about you know why do people torture in prisons Mm -hmm. how how do people behave in conflict you know and so that may have actually colored it as well because as you and i have talked about violence and human trafficking have a lot of overlaps and how people justify their behaviors and their choices. And Whedon had certainly explored that in other, mm, right. other, other, you know, shows. Certainly we've seen war and firefly racism, uh, uh, homophobia, misogyny, things like that in, and Buffy, you know, um, Tucker and Dale <laughs> feature sort of misunderstandings of people from Appalachian areas. I don't know. There's just, there's a mm-hmm. lot. He certainly talked about that before. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily new, but it is, I was shocked watching it again that as far as I knew, I didn't, I didn't see that they had like in their, when I looked on like IMDD, IMBD, that they didn't have like a human trafficking specialist. 
that they farmed out to. Because for Firefly, they had a Mandarin specialist. I mean, they very mm-hmm. clearly didn't use it, but they had a Mandarin <laughs> specialist. Like, they at least had somebody, you know? So I'm I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. They did a really good job. So we, we mentioned a few things that are specifically slave-like. Uh, in the case of Priya, just to be clear, uh, Nolan drugged her and made her seem like she was schizophrenic, and then Topher thought he was helping. Yeah, so that, so that was the path in there. But that's the but that's also the again a schizophrenic person as I pointed out earlier mm-hmm. for this reason can't consent. Mm-hmm. And who is Topher to judge that mm-hmm. she can't function and have a perfectly normal life despite her illness based mm-hmm. on the words of a rich guy. So now going back to some slave-like things. So we mentioned it's a 5-year term and you have to do whatever you're programmed to do. And so with consent, like there's the thing that like if i consent today does that mean i consent tomorrow yeah and consenting once then they don't get to consent to everything else that happens it's carte blanche okay so and this is i hate i read howard stern's book (laughs) this is a very weird segue seth is looking at me like i've lost my mind and i listened to a podcast he was on with conan o'brien because I've never liked Howard Stern, but I that opinion of him is entirely derived from... I never listened to his radio show, not once. is entirely derived from when he did this theories of things called, I believe it was Ass Man, Fart Man, something man on MTV. And I just went, oh, he's a dirty shock jock. He's awful. But in the middle of this Conan O'Brien thing, he started talking about like the importance of men acknowledging rape culture. And how if you're if you're a man, I mean, granted, it was very gendered, but if you're a man and you're a woman, it doesn't matter if you've been having sex for the last hour and a half. If a woman says stop, you have to stop immediately. And if you even extend one minute past when they've said stop, that that's rape. And I was like, holy Jesus, Howard Stern <laughs> gets it. Like he understands. And he was also in that, you know, that rape doesn't always mm-hmm. look the same way. If Howard Stern who used to famously have women do terrible, heinous things on his tele- on his radio mm-hmm. show, because then I wikied him, mm-hmm. has gone to the point where he understands this. Topher should. <laughs> I have higher standards for that. That was just my Howard Stern segue. Uh, poor one out for Howie. He's, mm-hmm. he's figured it out. But So a lot of modern slavery, aside from generational slavery, which is more common in India and other places... But a lot of slavery is more akin to a lease in trafficking. Yeah, it's... And that's true in Dollhouse. They basically have a five-year lease. Well, or it's said that it's going to be a lease. You're yeah. you're told that you're signing up, say, for a, a year to work as an au pair. You're told that you're going to work mm-hmm. for three years as a janitor at school. It's a, it's a construction bid for however long it takes this hotel in Dubai, you know, to be built. Right. But what happens to you at the end of that five years is is very ambiguous, and very few people get to the end of that five years. Well, and the contract terms don't necessarily align with trafficking, where there's plenty of cases where, you know, because they have to pay back money, it might be longer. Yeah. Whereas here, generally, it's going to be five years. Yeah. But it also, they also treat them like they own them, like even though they lease them, that they have an absolute right to do whatever they want. Yeah. And including putting them at risk. Yeah. Well, and they, they control their product. Like there's all these scenes where they're like making them work out or they control their food. Like they're not allowing, well, because they turn nonsense in it when they're not being volunteered, mm-hmm. but you know, everyone's got beautiful hair and nails. So there's certainly like a level of care that's being done to them clearly when they're unconscious. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or something to that effect. You do not get Echo's abs. <laughs> 
if when you're not working you're not being made to do a certain number of crunches and so whether she's aware of it or not like that's never like a lot of things in Joss Whedon it's never clear like how people are making their money or when they have time to do laundry you Mm -hmm. know you just accept this as as part of Mm -hmm. part and parcel but nevertheless it's very clear though that they're being treated sort of in the way you would like a car that you detail that you use for uber not like a person now they make it clear and we'll end later with this that they're also being used for research purposes yeah that uh their business is fantasy but that's not their purpose and one of their purposes is shown in haunted where uh adele has a friend who has died but she wants to attend her own funeral when she dies and so it's put in echo and uh, boyd is saying eternal life is that something we offer now yeah because you know that's you realize that's the beginning of the end well and the fact that joss whedon didn't didn't get a shout out for uh the black mirror episode uh Mm. san pedro is it san pedro San Paulo, San something, you know, where their consciousnesses are uploaded into computers to live forever. You know, mm-hmm. I, certainly, I mean, Philip K. Dick has talked about this too. Yeah. Like, he's certainly not the first sci-fi fantasy writer to to dabble in this. But this seems very similar, even with the way the mainframes are structured mm-hmm. in the shot, and that they're little circles. You know, it, it's yeah. very, it's very similar. And having seen Black Mirror before, I saw this. I was just like, oh, I see where this mm-hmm. is coming from. And then we get to one of the last episodes of the first season, Briar Rose, which has multiple interesting elements, including Dude, the that's... fact that the primary uh, focus of the at the beginning of the episode is a girl who is trafficked. Yeah, and I would also say if if you've made it through at that if, if at this point, if you've made it through all the episodes and like nothing's triggered you and you've been okay. This might be the one that sends you off because I did actually stop. I, I like most things I watch. I know lifed these. I, I sat down and watched all of season one in a in a binge. I went and did some other stuff. Came back. Really wanted to watch Jessica Jones. Told myself I couldn't watch Jessica Jones until I finished this because I promised Seth. Binge the second one, but I had to stop at the Briar Rose one and like go to the gym and angry run. Why was that? It one children <laughs> were involved. Uh, mm-hmm. Where there's no element of consent, but it's also then it's it's not just uh, not generational, but it's it's a person being vulnerable again and again and again and again, and the allusions to Sleeping Beauty, aka Briar Rose, of this woman who is passively there waiting to be rescued, which is that's the creepiest of all of the fairy tales, really, because mm-hmm. if you've read it, eventually you know her prince's eyes get plucked out. There's just there's a lot of levels there, and seeing the other characters respond to her or fail to respond to her. Mm-hmm. is is really difficult. Yeah, so so Echo, uh, Topher extrapolates this girl to be... She, Echo ends up being this girl in the future, the best version of herself, and so then it is sent to sort of be a counselor to this girl. Yeah, which is... So, so we have a, a young girl who's trafficked. Yep. Topher... In the past. In the past. Topher commits again soft sci-fi we never get the the house makes a version of her of that like if everything goes well for her in the future best possible very right there's been a brain scan somehow yeah and it's apparently in the future she does yoga i don't know like it's that sort Mm -hmm. of thing like 
not the future where she goes down and gets into like mid-level marketing schemes on heroin. This is the future where like everything's perfect for her. And they put her in Echo. Because remember, Echo, when she's active, is not actually a person. Mm-hmm. Well, she's, she's a computer scan of a person. And so she goes to talk to the little girl. Well, not little anymore, but she goes to talk to the girl who had been trafficked. And they have a weird the little girl's I should stop calling her little because she has agency. She's older, but Susan. She ends up having this conversation with her. And it is the weirdest, worst, yet also helpful thing ever. At one, I think it's really insulting that Topher does it. To to talk to like she doesn't have these thoughts herself. I think it's exceptionally unkind that he doesn't realize that he's doing these things to these men and women every day. But at the same time, it sends a really good message if there were any small children watching Dollhouse or, or, or survivors of abuse because some of the stuff that the Echo character says, I think, is actually really helpful. The sort of right. the, the it's, pat tradition. It's relevant to actual trafficking yeah. situations. The guilt, the fact that he said he knew the cops. Yeah. And it might have, actually. Like, we mm-hmm. don't know enough of the scenario. But here's the thing, is that we talked about how at the end of Nona does a terrible job of actually this. This is a version of it being done well. For, for two reasons. One, because it's the survivor speaking herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it's augmented through another person, but it is her speaking, kind of, sort of. And then also, too, it is very frank and done in such a way of I statements. So it's that these other people don't understand, but we as survivors do and i do appreciate that sort of level of attention and agency played and it's done in ways that's not like speech from white lady Mm -hmm. you know there are times where the show wasn't preachy and did it well yeah this Uh, is one of them yeah but then sometimes they hammer it over you which you can have different opinions of but you know considering like this joss whedon got a lot of flack yeah, portraying a show where you have dolls that go out and you know, are meet the needs of rich men, things like yeah. that. So a few things worth noting. This episode, they thought a lot about. Yeah. They introduced Alpha in this episode, and they played with Briar Rose. Like, they, like, like, you really hate that she didn't save herself, don't you, Echo, said to Susan. And in the end, like, they're showing Paul looking for Caroline, and Caroline is the Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's levels there. And then Paul comes there. in and ends up not being the plucky hero. Yeah. And Paul is actually one of the first characters, too, to just, like, directly state to, to another internal character, like, you're a pimp. Like, what you do is pimping. In, the, in this episode. Yeah, and that's, and that's, I think, really important though because even though he's not successful i think that he every time we've heard this mentioned in sort of a very blatant way it's been of characters outside of the dollhouse this is someone literally like confronting Mm -hmm. dollhouse folks being like you are a trafficker you are a bad person and here is why he actually gives some compelling reasons so yeah and paul by this time is suspended from the fbi and he he's he has to make a choice of do I join them and try to bring them down yeah, or not? Or... And he does, and he compromises himself to do it. But that's the world can be grayer than I would like, and in this case, Paul makes that decision. However, 
in this episode, like before he does that, he says, I don't even care that these people sign themselves over to you. There is no provision yeah. for consensual slavery. It eh. is wrong. You know it's wrong. In the next episode, when Echo is briefly loaded with 38 personalities, yeah. which uh, because she has a special brain that can't be wiped as easily, it's a, that's part of the story. She says, I have 38 brains. Not one of them thinks you can sign a contract to be a slave, especially now that we have a black president. Boom! And that's in the Omega episode. That's, And I will say, it, I cannot say her name appropriately. Seth, how do I say the actress's name? Eliza? Eliza Dushku. Eliza Dushku. She, like, she crushes it in that one. Like, she does, I think she's at her best when she plays sort of, like, angry, broken people. Mm-hmm. And she says it the way an angry, broken person would. And and she handles it beautifully. Yeah, well, and she she did Echo. I liked how she did Echo. When she's doing other characters, she didn't have the same range yeah. as, well, the other main characters. Yeah, no. But I, she has her moments. We were talking yeah. about this before the camera started. Camera. Before the camera started. Before the recorder started rolling. That, like, th- she has these moments where she's exceptionally compelling, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. They start off season two with an episode with Jamie Bamber playing an arms dealer, also from Battlestar Galactica. But we're not going to talk about that episode. But you should go listen to the one that we have. And then uh, they introduce Senator Perrin, who will mention a few things for, but he's the one trying to bring down the dollhouse. And at one point he says, this is more than just medical malfeasance or ethics violations. And in reference to Rossum, the, the big bad organization that runs everything. He said, this is prostitution, human trafficking, maybe murder. They take people and they change them into whatever they want them to be. So again, they're already adding, like, this is something. Can you, we'll throw all the bad, all, all the words that a lot of people don't like. Yeah. And then we'll go into Bello, Bello Chos. I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation. I have no idea. But uh, uh, Michael Hogan, who plays Saltai in Battlestar Galactica. Again. <laughs> plays Blad Bradley Karens, who is uh, the uncle of Terry Karens. Terry Karens is a dick. There, I said it. Put it on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, so. We're already going to have to rate this explicit, Seth. Don't, don't give me that yeah. face. No, so he is a, a younger man. Mm-hmm. He abducts women. He rapes women he's a bad person and then his uncle is like, a major shareholder in their parent organization yeah which and then it, but is also sort of his cleanup guy yeah. because he doesn't it's not actually clear why he likes terry it, it is there's no backstory there like we don't know if it's because he loved mm-hmm. his sister or if, if terry's secretly his love child or if he's the same way that terry is or if terry has pictures of him like pooping i don't know what it is but he mm-hmm. he is cl- terry's cleanup guy and Terry is in a coma. And so he brings him into the dollhouse to, like, have them try to do some, because of the medical research they've been doing on brains, bring him out of this coma and or possibly make him a doll. It's, but mostly to, to bring him out of this mm-hmm. coma. But he's just going to continue to rape and harm women. 
It even makes the dollhouse uncomfortable. Yeah, and but still they do it. But it's it's literally if and this isn't like he's being brought into a hospital and he needs treatment. This is do this experimental treatment that could help millions of people on my rapist nephew. But I buy off survivors. He he's the cleanup guy. He basically threatens and then gives money to survivors. And it's sort of implied that if with the threats, if people don't take the money that like he has killed as a cleanup guy before. So he is engaging in in violence. Not trafficking, but just sort of pure violence. But there's like some heavy implications there about who are the sort of people then that are participating Mm -hmm. in this. And that also there are always going to be people out there that it's not just because suddenly they have access to this intimate actor or access to sex. Because clearly Terry could have just go to his uncle and say, hey, get me a bunch of dolls. It's that he has to be actively taking from people to feel empowered. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that juxtaposition is there. And that the fact in the same episode, Echo is sort of taking on what does, what did, did appear to me to be a, um, someone who maybe not necessarily is underage because she's playing like a quote unquote college student, but certainly. Right. She's playing Kiki. But Kiki is certainly, um, I couldn't remember her character's name. I thought it was Gigi. But uh, yeah, well, but she's like, certainly playing a a young character, young like, ditzy. She she might be Kiki's character might be eighteen, might be twenty, but she she easily also could be like a sixteen, seventeen year old with the way that she is played. Is she being portrayed by an actress who is above that age, both like in real life and canonically in the show? Yes, mm-hmm. but it's the way she acts is very uncomfortable. And so to have these two things juxtaposed within a episode of like, mm-hmm. this is a man who hurts young women. Here is a person portraying a young woman to go out without her consent. Yeah. Like this is, this is one of the episodes where it was a little too on the nose to, to fulfill a professor's uh, seduction fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. But there's nothing, there is nothing hidden or secret about the Kiki. Yeah. Thing well, episode. And, and Paul is clearly uncomfortable. And yeah with, with that episode and he continues to be uncomfortable with her anything uh sexual that yeah echo does and there, there's one episode where in a love supreme where she in a sex worker role is consoling paul about her sex work yeah because because she in this thing is supposed to be cool with it because that's but here's the thing is that that's not her choice it's what the client wants Mm -hmm. i'm all for erotic service providers who who want to be doing that work that's phenomenal but you have to actually be wanting to do that work you can't just be paying lip service and the show provides different perspectives on sex work. Uh, some some are positive. Uh, some, like uh, Senator Perrin's I have, pretty much conflate it with human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, it's kind of great that the show it d- does that, that it gets into the debate. Now, it's been noted by the people who categorized all the uh, engagements that there are a number that are in service of the dollhouse. Yeah. And one of them kind of merges what we were just talking about with the dollhouse where echo plays a prostitute drugs the senator (laughs) videotapes it and tells him to back off yeah all to control because it's a senator who's spoken out very clearly can i can i do the senator can i I be a male senator this is more than just medical malfeasance or ethics violations this is prostitution human trafficking maybe murder 
They take people and they change them into whatever they want them to be. That is not how he sounds. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very clearly, like, trying to keep the keeping the business open and the business mm-hmm. running is, is the most important thing. And after it, after this, he realizes that she's a doll, and so he's trying to save her. Yeah. We soon find out that he was also a doll, except he was himself, but he was reprogrammed to be the best version of himself. Of himself, yeah. But also not fully controlled by himself. And in the car with Echo, he's saying, you've been manipulated. You were probably desperate and alone, and they used that against you. And then he says, forced you to be a slave so the wealthy can have a play toy. So it was an episode around this time, a little before this one, called Belonging, where what happened with Priya came to light. And Adele is having guilt, and she runs into uh, Mr. Matthew Harding, one of the people who runs Rossum. So this, this kind of shows her rationalization and also Harding's point of view, and we're going to role play this one. Okay, I'll, I'll be Harding in this case. I'll I've been Adele other times. I've but. been Adele. I cannot do a British accent. I'll sound like Dick yeah, Van Dyke. But, so we're just going to pretend that Adele is me. All right, so I'm Harding. Adele. We're being asked to place this young woman into a life of wealth and privilege, married to a man she adores. Do you really want to go to Rossum with this and accuse one of their most valued assets of being a kidnapper and rapist? That is what he is. And if we do this, what does it make us? What are we already? We're not slave merchants, Mr. Harding. I I won't do this. However she got here, she's here in my house and therefore in my care. Yes, and you would never let anyone take advantage of any of your charges... Would you, Ms. Lonely Hearts? I think we can stop there. He goes on basically to insult her, and he, he says that basically do, taking one of these dolls home is the equivalent of sort of stealing a stapler from the office, which I think sort of tells you exactly his opinions. Yes. She was using Victor on the, on the side. Yep. Without anyone else knowing. She was playing this character, Ms. Lonely Hearts, who they all thought was this really old woman. Yeah, but in fact is is her. But this also gets into her own needs like she has this control and when she uses victor it's when she tends to not feel control so that she can feel control of somebody but it's also like her abusing her role at the dollhouse to take care of the actives Uh, summer glaw is introduced as uh, somebody another version of topher named bennett halverson in the dc dollhouse and she also knew caroline when caroline blew up the building yeah so when she was still caroline but before she was echo and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of cute because they do do like so a few they do a few firefly fly gags throughout the series joss whedon is really big on like callbacks yeah yeah they, they have one here where caroline's looking at bennett halverson's profile and saying bet you could kill me with your brain which is almost a direct quote from firefly, firefly. when she looks at uh jane and says i could kill you it's it's great summer glow also plays the terminator in the sarah connor chronicles yep moving to the left hand the dc house is run by howard lippman who is played by ray wise who was possessed in twin peaks as leland palmer and he is an amazing actor he needs to be in more stuff because he does good work And, and this is when they sort of start talking about when we learn that they that they've manufactured people now to be them best, their best selves. Mm-hmm. So sort of what happens to, to Echo when she goes to talk to Susan, it's, it's repeated here. But that's also when it starts getting mentioned, what you find out in the, in the next episode, Stop Loss, which is now they're making soldiers. 
which is a, a form of trafficking that we don't talk about as much on this podcast. Yeah. But when you have people who are forced soldiers, I mean, normally mm-hmm. we talk about child soldiers, but forced soldiers in general, when you press gang someone into joining your military and force them to fight, mm-hmm. that is actually a form of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, conscription is different <laughs> because, you know, you can actually, if you're drafted, there are options that you can exercise other than that. Uh, but... If you force someone to fight on your behalf, that is a form of trafficking. And so this Mind Whisperer mm-hmm. program that they're suggesting, granted, it initially is to be – they mention – I have to say this is when the season starts to fall apart a little bit because they're trying to cram a lot in. And so you do have these big talking head mm-hmm. sections of like, I'm an evil person. I'm going to pontificate my entire evil plan because we don't have time to slowly right. spread it out. So that, uh, yes, it is going to be on soldiers who, like, quote-unquote consent to it, and maybe not necessarily knowing what they're consenting to, but eventually this could be used for sort of the creation of armies without the need of any form of consent. Which is a big thing that comes up in a lot of Whedon's work, actually. In Buffy, there's the use of super soldiers under the Atom program, and Firefly, that's a major plot component, sort of the creation of super computer people who are also soldiers. Uh, it pops up in Angel a little bit with the creation of, of particular people. So I, this is the thing he comes to a lot. So it's notable that uh, Perrin, they end up changing him so that he turns against, or he turns so he's defending the dollhouse now. He says it's not true and he's manufactured yeah. to be a president. And then they get to the attic which they've alluded to multiple times. You'll be sent to the attic, but we don't know what it is. Yeah. It's the house metaphors do get a little old in season two. They rely on it a little too much. Because mm-hmm. there's multiple doll houses. It's not that there's right. just one house. There's multiple houses. There's like, what, like 20-some, 30-some? About 22. 22 doll houses. So there's numerous houses. It's just like, what? You can let the metaf- metaphor go a little mm-hmm. bit. But in this case, it's... Uh, they, we end up finding out that uh, people in the attic are connected to computers and that they are the mainframe, that they're soaked in adrenaline so that they're running fast. Uh, I mean, one problem with that is you can only run on adrenaline for so long, but putting that aside, you know, this is sci-fi, can have yeah. some suspension of belief, that they have a worldwide human network that, that is their mainframe. Yeah. And so when people cease to be useful, useful as a doll, potentially, like if they're bro- too broken, how, how they deal with the contracts, who knows. But So they introduced that. And then how the series ends, well, we're not going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about some final themes now. You really should watch it. You will enjoy it. It is certainly not long. So one of the last Man on the Street episode interviews mm-hmm. that where they foreshadow everything, is, quote, forget mortality. Imagine it's true, right? Imagine this technology being used. Now imagine it being used on you. Everything you believe, gone. Everyone you love, strangers, maybe enemies. Every part of you that makes you more than a walking cluster of neurons dissolved at someone else's whim. If that technology exists, it'll be used, it'll be abused, it'll be global, and we will be over. As a species, we will cease to matter. I don't know. Maybe we should. And they show that to be true. And so the high-level themes end up being that when you separate human minds and bodies, when we just become hardware, that the self-created technology creates societal problems. Yeah. And 
on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Yeah. Someone, to quote from South Park, someone would do that? Lie? <laughs> on the internet? <laughs> you're physical and you operate in a digital space. And you don't have that human connection anymore. It's easier. It, identity p- can become a little more relative. And why shouldn't it if the yeah. only representation is what you have in this virtual space? Mm-hmm. But there are ways that, that that's problematic, especially since we are a society where we are partially defined in a social context. Yeah. And like, no matter how I see myself, other people will see me how they see me. And I can only control that to a degree. Yeah. And also the human connection part with Facebook, where I can be connected with everybody and not feel connected to anybody. And you can control, because it's it's a limited representation, you can control yourself there much more than you can in face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier than to commodify and sell a particular version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Hence why they have like digital branding mm-hmm. classes and things of that nature. And why like for my new job, I went through and I scrubbed my Twitter and I scrubbed uh, yeah. my Facebook and I got rid of all of my political Instagram posts. And so now it's just... Mm-hmm. Cats and Political pastry. Instagram. So uh, this one quote from a Gizmodo article, which I'm sharing. The evil in Dollhouse is harder to deal with than the evil in Buffy because it's our evil. It's our yeah. willingness to strip other people of their humanity in order to get what we need from them. It's our eagerness to give up our, on our humanity and conform to other people's expectations in exchange for some vaguely promised reward. Yeah, there's no there's no demons causing it. Although in Buffy there is evil people as well, but So there's the aspect of this that gets into like what are we doing with technology and is it all good, especially if we can turn our in this case turn our brains into storage media. Now the idea that brains can be erased, I mean that is possible. The idea that memory is a bit malleable, that's true. We're not we don't have this technology as far as I know. Yeah. Good sci-fi, good speculative fiction has a little bit of foreshadowing of what, what, where are we heading? What are some of the negatives that are theoretically possible if we take the extreme of a certain route? Yeah. And there's also a corporate aspect to this. You know, that you have bureaucracy, that you have a... Big Brother organization. I mean, the actives are tagged, so you know where they're at. Mm-hmm. Their brains are monitored from afar. Yeah. And even after they leave the dollhouse, even after they're done, they need to have checkups. Yep. And their brains are permanently modified the rest of their lives. Which is what we've talked about sort of, one, in your psychological coercion, the, the permanent modification of your brain in terms of trauma, but also just that a lot of times people who come out of trafficking have permanent physical issues mm-hmm. from it. So... It doesn't go away automatically. You're not quote unquote rescued and suddenly everything is beautiful and it's happily ever after, like in Sleeping Beauty. There's a lot of after effects. Yeah, and uh, just the the commodification. It's an episode. I want to do an episode on that sometime soon. Just uh, the global consumerism and commodification. Mm-hmm. But like, how much can we commodify toward meeting certain needs and have marketing? do that and like what should be in the uh, consumeristic space mm-hmm. and then there's also how do we value things like is being a homemaker valuable yeah or 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 the all, yeah, all or, the work or, done or, at home or it is erotic service provision a, a dirty form of work is agricultural labor valued 
But in one essay, they said that they acknowledged that longtime fans of Whedon were unsure about the show. He has a reputation as a feminist, or at least more feminist, has strong female characters. There, there was a brief moment where he he seemed to get me too while, while he and his wife were going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, she posted a open essay um, about him and that she found him actually to be quite predatory mm-hmm. towards women who work on his shows. So that sort of actually colored my watching mm-hmm. uh, in a particular way. So that was also there, but you know, no perfect people. But uh, somebody noted that the show was not really about sex and prostitution, although that was a core part, that it's ultimately about rich and powerful people finding a way to be rich and powerful forever, to live beyond death, and also to pay for sexual as well as other favors and other whatever tasks they wanted, and then Rossum could use their profits to fund the research toward this. And so it's a lot about power and domination and the elite playground. Yes. And how they can abuse corporations and abuse the law. And with that sort of thing, I, I like to not be conspiratorial, but to acknowledge, yes, there are elites putting all political persuasion aside mm-hmm. who abuse systems, who, who there are people like Jeffrey Epstein and and yeah, so it's it's this continued of of who gets to have a position of power and who doesn't, and mm-hmm. oftentimes, particularly with human trafficking, it's it's who has access to money and who has no access, or who has political power and who has none. Um, I also think had this show been able to go on beyond its seasons, if we would have seen more with the super soldiers, we could have had much more conversations about labor mm-hmm. trafficking. As I think you see a sort of push for, away from labor from from sex into labor with that initiative and with the people in the attic who are supercomputers, mm-hmm. you know, I think we would have seen that push. Right. But we, but yes, we didn't get there. Those are forms of labor trafficking. So yeah. Thanks but for we, mentioning you're that. welcome. Thank you for making me watch it. But we just didn't get, we, like I'm now a showrunner with Joss Whedon, just mm-hmm. the show just didn't get there for, for whatever reason. And partly it's because it's, it's hard to make people want to listen to a show that's that difficult and it had a lot of clanky moments right well and both firefly and dollhouse had uncomfortable intersections or ones that yeah which i liked that's partially why i liked them yeah i did uncomfortable and they they're the kinds of things that are good for conversations like the very long conversation jj and i just had about themes are because all of those things were there but it, it is really hard to do sort of a serialized show of that nature where one, a character, like with Dolls, where a character, we talked about this, is, is constantly changing. So your, your main character, your attachment to her might be a little bit different. Um, and two, where there wasn't a lot of support from the network. And, and three, where if, if the writing or the episodes are in any way choppy and don't have like a really seamless cohesion, it, you can't. I think actually a lot of Whedon stuff in Dollhouse in particular, I think really would have benefited from the streaming type services that exist now where people binge list watch because had I watched this as a, as a casual watcher mm-hmm. who's like, you can't catch an episode of this in the middle and get what's going on and then sort of jump in. You have to really start at the beginning. So it being on like what the WB, like once a week at like the 7 PM spot before American Idol, not so great, but had, but in many ways I think it's very similar as a precursor to sort of the Jessica Jones 
thing, which deals with these issues of slavery and consent and mind control and choice. So Dollhouse. What? Ten years <laughs> behind the curve? One day we'll talk about The Simpsons and that'll be fun. Okay. No, we yeah. won't. I don't, as far as I know, those are trafficking in The Simpsons. But uh, there are some interviews that uh, we're working on lining up. Yep. That should be really exciting and that you guys should like. Um, and as always, reach out, contact us. Call the National Human Trafficking Hotline if you see anything. And if anyone ever offers you a chance to go live in the attic, say no. It's never going to be a nice little ship-lapped building. <laughs> and don't call people like man friend. <laughs> just don't do it. It's bad. It's bad. All right. And on that note, since I just broke Seth, bye, everybody. Bye. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.